Hi, my name is Holly Packiam. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 1, 1 through 4. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Revelation 4, 1 through 2. After this, I looked, and there was a door that had been opened in heaven. The first voice that I heard, which sounded like a trumpet, said to me, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in a spirit-inspired trance, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on the throne. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray tonight. Father, we come before you once again, gathered together as your people in this place, seeking your presence and asking you to speak to us. So would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you help our minds to understand? And most importantly, would you ignite our hearts with holy love that we might love you with everything and then go out from this place and love others in the same way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you. Those of you who are here in the room and everybody gathering online, whether on Facebook or on YouTube or on our website, if you are online tonight, do me a favor and go into the comment section on Facebook or YouTube and say hi to Jim and Martha Cole who are hosting the service uh, there tonight. We are in our fourth week through this series called The Last Word, through the last book in the Bible that big, scary, strange book of Revelation. This book that has mesmerized and terrified people kind of throughout history. We're like, what do we do with this thing? And what we've been trying to do in this series is hit reset. I'm saying what we want to do is we want to hear this book fresh. We want to hear it anew. We want to actually hear this book in its entirety. And we want to hear this book as it was meant to be heard. We want to hear it as John heard it on that island of Patmos. And we want to hear it as those churches that he was writing to heard it. And then see in the middle of that what God might be saying to us today. Now, I know there's some of you in the room that you're like, okay, it's four weeks in. When are we getting to the good stuff? You're like waiting for us to talk about beasts and dragons, and harlots, and 
all of those things related to sin and evil and death and Satan, because I guess you've exhausted your Netflix playlist and cable news is no longer entertaining or dramatic enough for you that you're like, we've got to get to those parts or you're gonna have to wait a couple more weeks. The book of Revelation actually opens with several key things before we dive into those places. Actually, before we can properly deal with evil, we actually have to set some really clear foundation. And this is what happens in the book of Revelation is that we set a foundation about who is Jesus, who are we as the church, what does it mean to worship, and what do we understand about the power of God. We have to understand all of those things before we can actually start talking about what God's doing about evil in the world. Because it's from that understanding of Jesus and the church and worship and the power of God that we can begin to tackle all of those kinds of pictures and symbols and images that we see in the book of Revelation. So tonight, we're going to be in one of the most breathtaking chapters in the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. If you've got Bibles, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone app, open that, or you can follow along on the screens. Here in Revelation chapter 4, we see John gathered in this island of Patmos, coming to the Lord on Sunday. He says he's caught up in the Spirit. He's praying and he's singing on Sunday. He is in worship and all of a sudden what he sees is this door open to him and he is transported into another realm. This is the walking through the back of the wardrobe moments in Revelation chapter 4. This is John finding himself tumbling into Narnia. This is that moment where he's crashing through platform nine and three quarters to discover there's a whole nother world. This is him leaving the Shire, or heading to the second star to the right and straight on until morning and going to a galaxy far, far away. And then realizing though that what he's seen is something closer and more real than he could have ever imagined. Closer and more real, more substantive, more thick than any story could possibly be because he's, a, because he's getting a glimpse into the very realm of God. And it says this, after this, I looked and there was a door that had been opened in heaven. And that first voice that I heard, recalling back to Revelation chapter one, which sounded like a trumpet to me, that voice said to me, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And goes on and says, at once I was in a spirit-inspired trance. I was in the spirit. We're not sure how to handle all of that language there. And I saw a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on the throne. And the one seated there, looked, it looked like Jasper, and carnelian, and surrounding the throne was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. He's just searching for every color to describe what is happening here, and looking and seeing someone seated on the throne. So the first thing that John sees is an open door, and the first thing John hears is an invitation 
come up here. He sees an open door and he hears an invitation, come up here. We all know what it's like to stand on the other side of a closed door. We know what it's like to be standing on the outside and wanting to be on the inside. We know what it's like to feel shut out of somewhere or something and to find ourselves on the wrong side of a door. For some of us, it's some of our earliest memories on the playground or in middle school. I've seen that there's this group of people over there and they seem to have it all together. And if I could just be a part of that group, if I could just be one of their friends, if I could just somehow break through and be a part of them, then maybe something would change for me. And we know what it's like to be on the outside. For some, it's not so much a group of friends, but it's a team. Saying, if I I could just be on that team, if I could just be a part of that thing that's happening and, and do what it is that they're doing and doing it the way that they're doing it, then everything would be Okay, for others, it's a school that we're just knocking on the closed door wanting to get into, or it's a job, a career, a vocation, saying, if I could just get in, if I could just get past this ceiling, if I could just get to that place, we know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. For others, it's actually not so much a group of friends or it's a place, but it's a status, that we find ourselves single and wanting to be married and saying, if I could just get past that space, if I could get into that status, then things would be different. Or we want to be a homeowner. So like we're tired of renting and dealing with the fear and the doubt about whether or not we can make our rent this month and whether or not it's going to get raised and whether or not we're going to get kicked out and all of the uncertainty, saying if I could just get in on that side of things. The truth is is we all have a little bit of Aaron Burr, sir, in us. We want to be in the room where it happens. Right? We want to be somewhere where it's happening, where something is taking place, where something important is happening. And so many times we find ourselves on the outside looking into that room. John is exiled on an island prison. He's on the outside. The seven churches that he's writing to are persecuted on the edge of the empire. They're on the outside. And each of us, in some way, in some place, some point in our lives, and most likely in some way now, we find ourselves on the outside. And yet Jesus has a habit coming to those who are on the outside. John, on the outside, in this exiled island, Jesus comes to him and gives him this vision, and there's an open door, and there's an invitation into the room where it actually happens. Into the very throne room of God, Jesus comes to those who are on the outside and invites us Inside, this is actually what happens when we're gathered together in worship. When we worship, Jesus brings us outsiders inside the very throne room of God. 
that when we're gathered together and we worship, when we lift up our voices and sing, when we bend our knee to the one who is and was and is to come, when we pray and submit our will to his, when we give generously, when we serve sacrificially, when we do things in Jesus' name, what happens is those of us on the outside find ourselves brought in by the grace of God into the very throne room of God. This is what happens when we worship. We're brought from the outside in. The throne, of course, is a symbol of power, of authority, of control, of the rule and reign of God. It may be the most important image that happens in the entire book of Revelation. It appears in 17 out of the 22 chapters. 17 out of the 22 chapters. I wonder if the book is trying to tell us something about who's really in charge here, about who's really in control. And the invitation comes to us to be in the place where God is and where God is in control. Where God is and where everything is as God wants it to be. Where God is and where everything is as it should be. Where God is and where everything is as it will be now and forever. We're invited to come into that space. This is why the people of God throughout history have sung in the most unusual places and time. That even when the church is distressed, even when the church is destitute, the people of God have risen up in song. It's Israel in exile, singing the psalms. It's Paul and Silas in prison, breaking out in the tune. It's the civil rights leaders on the marches across Selma and elsewhere, lifting up the hymns of the church. It's people in refugee camps all around the world today, lifting up their voice in song, knowing that they do not have a place to call home. They still have a home in the presence of God. It's why the church, throughout our history, throughout the 2,000 years of the church, has always prioritized this, gathering together with other believers to worship the one who was and is and is to come to say, this is what we do. Why? Because it's in these moments we're reminded that we are never alone. No matter how isolated we feel. It's in these moments that we're reminded that we're never without an advocate. No matter how powerless we feel in the midst of our lives. It's in these moments we're reminded that we are never excluded from the very presence of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, even to the end of the age. It's in these moments where we recognize that whatever is happening in our lives doesn't actually have the final say. It's in these moments when we remember that what we're facing won't last, that even the greatest challenges that we face will have to bend their knee before the throne of God. Even those things will end. We get this glimpse inside this room, and here's what's happening. Around the throne, there are 24 additional thrones, and seated on those thrones are 24 elders. 
dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Which, of course, when we're coming to a text like this, we're like, well, who are those people? Who are the elders? Well, there's a couple of different thoughts here. First of all, remember in Hebrew and Jewish literature, numbers are oftentimes symbolic, that they tend to represent something. Oftentimes, numbers are more about the quality of something than they are about the quantity of something. They're trying to tell us something about what is happening. And one of the most significant numbers in Jewish literature is 12. And so 12 is an important number. It tends to indicate inclusion about all, about everyone being together. And 24 is, of course, a multiple of 12. 12 plus, or times, I can't do math today. 12 times two is 24. So we get two groups of 12. So some think this is the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus coming together around the throne. Others look at it, and there's a passage in 2 Chronicles that lists out 24 divisions of priests. This is all of the priests gathered around the throne. But here's the real kicker for the whole thing. Who are the people who are connected to the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles? You and me. All the believers. Who are the people that are described earlier in the letter as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? It's you and me. It's all the believers. Who are the elders? This is us. The elders are us gathered around the throne of God. Him bringing his people around him to worship him. These are representatives of all of those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And it goes on and says, these people are around the throne and this is all that's happening. And then it goes on. I think maybe we're in verse seven. I can't remember where we're at now. Coming from the throne. Here we go. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven flaming torches. Now, friends from New Life downtown, it's loud and there are lights and there are smoke. (laughs) It's a little louder, a little lightier, and a little smokier than we're comfortable with. Okay, that's what's happening in the middle of this. Okay, there's seven flaming torches, and the, the seven flaming torches are the seven spirits of God. Now remember, seven, in this symbolic sort of nature, seven is whole or complete. This is the entirety of God's spirit. It's not seven spirits. It's just a way of saying this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass. In front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. In front of the throne, there's a sea of glass. See, in the Jewish world, familiar with their literature, the sea is a place of evil. It's a place in which there's death. It's the place that which monsters come from. See, the Jewish people felt about the sea the way we all did after seeing Jaws. It's like, I do not want to go near the ocean ever again. There are monsters in the deep. 
This is how they felt. Genesis 1 captures this beautifully in the passage that was read by Holly just a few minutes ago. That Genesis 1 describes this primeval abyss, a place that is dark and chaotic and cold and lifeless. This is what they imagined the sea, dark and chaotic. But here, the sea is clear and it's calm. See, here in this place, all of the chaos is under control. See, here in this place, the sea is at rest before the throne. Friends, when we worship, Jesus brings us out of the chaos of this world and into the very peaceful presence of God, into the very shalom of God, into the very peace of God. Then when we worship, we find that the chaos ceases before the very one seated on the throne, and we all know what chaos feels like. How many times in the last six months, or maybe the last six years, or maybe the last 60 years, has it felt like life is unpredictable, that life is uncertain, that life is unforgiving, that our relationships, whether it's our dating relationships, our friendships, or even our marriages, they feel like they're teetering right on the edge where we had this plan. We had it all set, 2020, all calendared out. We made all of our goals and resolutions, and this was gonna be the year that we accomplished. And then 2020 happened. We've had moments where our dreams have just been shattered before our eyes. We have moments in life where it feels like our our losses are just mounting, where our grief It's pressing in on us, and it feels like we're drowning in the chaos. It feels like we're drowning under the sea. And in those moments, we hear the call of Jesus. Come up here. The invitation. Come up here. Come up here where the sea is calm. Come up here where the sea is clear. Come up here into my presence. Come up here. Put your trust in me. Come up here. Come up here. Up here, the sea is at rest. Up here, the sea is calm. Up here, the sea is clear. Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. The invitation from Jesus to come and worship and find that he's the calm in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea. Text goes on. It says this. It says, around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. And the first living creature creature is like a lion. And the second living creature like an ox. And the third living creature like the face of a human face. And the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And we're all again going, what is happening? This is weird, right? Oftentimes in Hebrew 4, is a number that refers to the entire creation, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth. And here we find four living creatures representing all of creation. The lion representing the wild animals, the ox representing the domesticated animals, the person representing, again, all of us, and the eagle representing those that fly above the land. All of creation is brought here around the throne. All of creation 
is here. And here's what they're doing. Next verse, where are we at? Ah, here we go. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around on the inside. Can you imagine wings and eyes? They're just everywhere because they're fully awake. They're fully alive. They're fully aware. They are seeing everything that is happening around them and they are ready to soar. They're ready to take off. And here's what they're doing. Day and night without ceasing, they sing. Day and night without ceasing, they sing, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. See, friends, when we worship, we're invited into to join heaven's unending song. It's going on and on and on and on. This is always happening. It's the present reality. Even when we're not singing, they are. Even when we can't seem to find the words to sing, others are singing for us. See, friends, the door is always open. The invitation never expires. The song never ceases, and the pattern never changes. Look at this. Last verses here. And whenever, over and over and over again, whenever the living creatures stand and give glory, whenever all of creation gives glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne and who lives forever and ever, whenever they do that, the 24 elders, which represents us fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns that they were wearing before the throne and they sing. And this pattern goes on and on and on. Creation praises and the elders fall down and they cast their crowns. And notice here, they worship with their entire being, with their entire body. They worship with everything. They don't simply open their mouths and sing. They fall down and they throw stuff. Friends, this is why we raise our hands. This is why we fall on our faces. This is why at times when things get really crazy, we dance a little. Because we're meant to worship God with all of us. With everything that he's given us, we're meant to worship him. And the elders, they do it again and again and again and again. Which means at some point in this story, they get their crowns back. They cast them. I don't know, like a boomerang. They come back, but somehow their crowns come back. Friends, earlier, there's a letter to the church in Smyrna. And we're told in that letter that the crown is a gift. The crown is not something that's earned. The crown is a gift. The crown is a gift that can only be given by Jesus to those that follow him. And the crown is a symbol of sharing in his rule. The crown is a symbol of everything that we were intended to be. Those who bear God's image 
and bring about his rule upon the earth. The crown is a symbol that everything was meant to be true about humanity, and here Jesus restores it to us. And what do the elders do with it? They take it off and they throw it before the king. And they find it back on their head, they take it off and they throw it before the king. Friends, this is actually what worship looks like. Worship is giving back to Jesus what he continually gives to us. Worship is giving back to Jesus what he is continually giving to us. He put breath in our lungs and we sing it back out to him in praise. And when we do, we find our lungs are filled back up again, that he strengthens us. And we take all of that strength and we use it to serve other people in Jesus's name. And what do we find? We find that somehow we're stronger than when we started so we can go and do it again. We find our needs being met by the work that we're able to do and the miracles that God brings into our lives. And so we take and we give sacrificially and we find what do we have? All of our needs met, all of our daily bread, and we keep doing it. And he keeps giving back to us. He gives us life and we lay it down before him to find him raise it back up again. This is what worship is, is taking everything that Jesus has already given us and giving it back to him only to find it come back around and smack us in the head so that we can do it again and again and again. Friends, what has Jesus given you that you can give back to him tonight and find that he gives it back to you in abundance? so that you might once again lay it before his throne, cast it before his feet, and fall down in worship. I'm going to get ready to come to the table tonight. And as we come to the table, we're going to come that we might once again remember and receive that Christ has given us his very life. And when we received his very life into us, then we're going to take some extended time tonight and we're going to take that life, that breath that he's given to our lungs, and we're going to give it back to him in worship. And we're going to spend some time singing and maybe raising your hands if you've never done that before or dancing a little bit or singing louder than what you're used to, but in some way laying it all down and finding it coming back to us in abundance. So if you want to go ahead and grab your communion cups, begin the 25-minute process of opening those very difficult to open things. I've got to go and grab mine because I left it down there. We're going to come and we're going to pray together. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. We're going to begin with a prayer of confession. We can come and confess because Jesus has already given us forgiveness. We come and confess because we're confident and who he is, would you join me in this prayer? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will 
and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, family, brothers and sisters, hear the good news. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, demonstrating his immense love for us, rescuing us from our slavery to sin and breaking the power of death. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. And now, would you go ahead and stand with me tonight? For the Lord is here. And let's lift up our hearts. And let's give thanks to the Lord our God. And let's take a moment right now and do that. Let's thank him as we get ready to receive. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us everything. That you've given us life and you've given us breath. And you have placed your crown upon our head that we might worship you with it tonight. In the night in which he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. I'm just going to hold on to it here for a second as we walk through this. and It'll be a time to receive it here in a moment. When he had blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. For friends, this is the mystery of our faith. Say it with me. Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so would you open up your hands tonight as we welcome the Holy Spirit into this place. We recognize that this is not only a time of remembrance, but time of encounter and hope. So Holy Spirit, would you pour yourself out in these gifts? May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Tonight, would you make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquets. Friends, these are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them uh, in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. This is the body of Christ given for you. You may receive it now. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And now, friends, having received these gifts from God, having recognized that Christ has given his life to us, has filled us with his spirit. Let's now come and sing with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and give back to him what he continually gives to us. Let's worship together.